Football Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing put that in. I don't So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to to the ring. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brad is out. Look at, look at this. Brad is out. And uh, David Matt. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Oh, yeah. From the CSB Studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. And I'm, of course, your host, John Pielli, ready to knock out another solid two hours of constant MLB talk. Uh, good show planned today. I got um, about 5.30. I'll have a uh, former left-hand reliever for the Toronto Blue Jays, Paul Spiljarek, join me via call. And then in the, the 6 o'clock hour, we'll have Herm Winningham, former outfielder for the, uh, the Expos and the Reds, could talk a little baseball. I'm going to hit up a lot of stuff in regards to the Mets, but I'm going to kind of hold off on it for now. Before I get into that, I really want to get into something that's been annoying the hell out of me lately. And this it's is something that... It's not just a baseball thing. It's a New York sports thing, and it's something that, listen, it might, might ruffle a little feathers. It might get some people a little uneasy, unhappy, you know, but I, I just got to say it, dude. I'm, I'm getting so tired of these New York fans, whether, whether you're, you know, a typical New York fan, you follow a New York sport team in baseball, football, basketball, and hockey. You know what? Some of you guys don't care if your team wins. You want to complain. You want to hear your voice out there a little more. You want people to hear you complaining about how bad your team is rather than support it. And it's garbage, man. And we've talked about this before. And if, if you listen to the past ball show for the past six months or so, you know my view on this. You know how I feel about it. If you're a fan of a team, you support them. If you're not happy with the way things are going, yes, you voice it. But don't, but, but don't turn your back on your team. And, uh, you know, a good example would be what's going on with the Mets right now. This is a team that, let's be honest. Yeah, they're struggling a little bit now. Obviously, the issues are in the bullpen, and that's what's really killing them right now. But they are they are an exciting team to watch. And if you honestly are a Met fan and you're saying, oh, this is, this is unwatchable, this team is garbage, get rid of everybody, then you're not paying attention. And honestly, the problem is you, you, some of you people just want to go out there and hear yourself complain more than root for your team. Does that make you a fan? Let's be honest, dude. It, it ain't a fan in my book. And, I mean, if i got to hear you guys complain about, you know, how the Mets got to get rid of all their players, nobody's doing anything, their starting pitching stinks, their offense stinks, they're not playing good defense, you're not paying attention. Are you watching the games, for God's sake? 
I mean, because if you if you're not, you know, you're not really a fan anyway. But if you're actually watching the games and you're saying these things, then you're just being silly. There's one thing with this New York Mets team that's killing them right now, and that's their starting pitching. And we all know that. I'm sorry, they're relief pitching. Their starting pitching has actually been very good. The national, you know, national series knocked out three solid games where they got three very good starts. Every one of the three pitchers, Nice Young, and today R.A. Dickey gave them a chance to win. And it was the Mets bullpen that blew it, you know, two times. And if they give them another inning today, if there was one more inning in this game, there's a chance the game would have been blown today. And I'll get into it a little later. We'll talk about some options for the Mets to maybe make a move for a reliever. But, you know, if not, then you know, I think Sandy's mailing the season in. And that's honestly what's going on with that. But, you know, I, I do want to just hit up a couple more things with this. And, then, you know, I'll, I'll open the phone lines. Anybody wants to call in, it's 609-910-0687. I'll take calls up to about 520-525 today. And then uh, we'll break, and then I'll set up, uh, you know, Paul Spiljarek, who's going to call in about 530 today. Uh, Herm Winningham, we're still waiting on him. Hopefully he'll be able to join us about 615 today. Um, I'm kind of back and forth with a couple other people. I may have another guest or so. So, you know, we'll, we'll set that up. You know, we'll get on. We'll you know, Listen, it's baseball time, man. Middle of the season. You know, if you're a Yankee fan, you're obviously enjoying everything that's going on. Even the Philadelphia Phillies are starting to show a little bit of life. And that's that's good. You know, if you're, if you're a baseball fan, you know what? You, you know, yeah, it's great to be running away with things. But right now, as you get towards the end of July, all you want is a little bit of hope. And, you know, there's a lot of teams in it. You know, the two, the two wild cards in each league is certainly going to open up things for a lot of different teams. You know, and I think that's why there hasn't been a lot of action going on in the trade market. You know, situation with the White Sox and the Red Sox with Kevin Euclid. You know, the Red Sox had a little bit of extra with Euclid as opposed to Will Middlebrooks. They end up making a trade. Really, other than that, there hasn't been too much action. And you know why? A lot of teams still consider themselves in it. And whatever fan you're a team of, really, unless you're a Cubs fan or unless you're, yeah, I, I can't even think. I mean, there's, there's there's so many teams that are in it. The Twins aren't in it. The Astros aren't in it. You know, you think of the Rockies and the Padres who have struggled and they're really out of it now. But really, other than that, every team at least has a puncher's chance of making it or he's, or at least making a run. Even a team like the Milwaukee Brewers, where everybody's calling them and saying to sell have a legitimate chance right now but i'll put that on hold we'll welcome in a call here i believe this is john john you there buddy hey how's it going john how are you today ah, pretty good man how's everything going dude what's on your mind uh everything's great um listen i was just listening listening to your piece about how uh you know fans are getting down in the mess and whatnot listen the way i see it is that any team right now at this point nobody's running away with anything right now except for the yankees unfortunately as a Mets fan i know how you feel about it but now listen uh, I'm, I'm happy for the yankees man they're doing good honestly mm-hmm. you cannot criticize good play and the yankees have played phenomenal baseball once their starting pitching has come around particularly Kuroda. i mean they've, yeah. been, they've been unstoppable over the last month or so well what i think about with the yankees what they're doing is it's just um you know uh Evan Roberts said the other day i'm saying that it's a little pieces that are making them better than what they were last year i mean last year was an embarrassment in the playoffs and how they lost three to two a good hitting team like the yankees and the payroll that they have they're trying to they're really trying to you know right now it looks like everything's going in that direction they're hitting they're pitching they're doing well even if we're not pitching it's like instead of pitching it's up like four hits I mean, i'm sorry four runs then they come back somehow to tie the game up or, like, you know, score a lot of runs for the pitcher. 
No, absolutely, man. And I tell you, it's really helping them out. I mean, that that yeah. offense that they got there is no joke. I mean, the I only mean, way, yeah, the only way, as far as the Mets are concerned, they really need to, like you said, is, is Sandy Olson needs to do his job now and maybe find somebody out there in the open market that could, you know, go in the bullpen and do a good job. I mean, like a starting pitcher, that's that's a little bit too much at this point. But if the Mets, I mean, Mets fans really need to be Mets fans and like. Who, I mean, like, even if they're losing, just a split team. Look how many bad teams that are out there right now. Cubs, Pirates, like, they're really... Cubs haven't won in, what, years? A hundred-something years. And their Cubs fans years, still supporting them. How many years? 104 years now. <laughs> and they're... And you know what the best part about it is? Chicago's supporting the Cubs. And and they're, they're worse than the Mets are at this point. They're probably much worse. Because they're looking, they're sellers. They're looking to trade everybody. The only guy that's probably not going to move is up front to Soriano because of his contract. But everybody else is up for, up for grabs, includes Matt Garza. No, exactly, man. And I even heard Starlin Castro a little bit. I don't think they'll move him. Yeah, but uh, there, there is. Listen, there, Theo Epstein has made it known that there's nobody on that team that's untouchable. And exactly. you know, the bottom line is he's there in his first year on a job, looking to turn around an organization that, you know, particularly over the last couple of years, has taken a dip. And obviously, if you go historically, how long it's been since they've even been in a World Series. You know, 1945 was the last time they were in a World Series, which is unbelievable for a team well, that's been yeah, I mean, so long. Well, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of uh, issues that have to solve. But, I mean, in my honest opinion, I think Mr. Moose Soncatcher is pretty stupid because that he's probably one of the best young players they have on the team. Okay, you can build build around him. I mean, Alfonso Soriano, you know, his, his contract is what it is, and he's still getting production. He's still getting home runs and doing his thing, and his feeling is a little it's been down. But, I mean, no one's going to take it. I mean, he's getting paid at least 18 mil a year. No one's going to take that contract on. And if anything, the Mets should – I think the Mets have a couple options. I mean, you know, they won today, which was a great job, but – their, their bullpen really is, is, is falling apart ever since, you know, Francisco has been out. And when's he coming back? Well, with Francisco, I mean, he might be another couple weeks away. I do want to ask you a couple questions in regards to the Mets, and I want to get your uh -huh. opinion on this. The okay. way, really what's happened with the Mets, this isn't a total team collapse over the last week or two. It really hasn't been. No, I don't been. think so. Well, no. if, you're, if, you're, if you're following the team, if you see what's going on, this is a team uh -huh. that's still fighting. They're fighting and clawing. If you saw the game the other day, the Mets were down two nothing in the in the top of the ninth. They get a three run homer to take the lead. The you know yep. Parnell, Parnell blows a save. They go up, they score a run in the tenth, and then they blow the game after that. So oh, you know th this, this isn't a situation where you know the team is not trying. I mean they're playing their asses off right now. I mean starting pitching has actually been pretty good. Yeah, you know there's a couple bad games in a Brave series, but all three games against Washington, the pitcher gave them a legitimate chance to win. And the problem is mm -hmm. the bullpen. And I think really what it's going to come down to, and, you know, Sandy Alderson sending feelers out, you know, if you ask all, all his guys, you know, John Rico, the, general the assistant general manager, J.P. Ricciardi, Paul D. Podesta, they're all saying the same thing. They're out scouting other teams. They're being proactive. They're really looking to make a move. And, you know, I, gotta, I, mean, I, don't, I don't usually quote other guys, but I was listening to Mike Francesa on the way here. And uh -huh. he, he, he said really what everybody's saying. If you're going to make a move, make it now. Why, why are you going to wait another two weeks? The season might be right. over in two weeks. Yeah, why wait? So, I mean, you know, the, the more days that go by, if you lose another game or two, then you say, hey, we're not in it. And, you know, listen, I, I think this is on Sandy to make the fans care, you know, feel like the team cares or, you know, the organization cares about its fans and cares about making a push in the second half of the season and not to make every single thing be about the future. And I think the players, <laughs> the players on the field have made it worth it. The players on the field have played their asses off, 
To, so, so the fans should have something to support. The fans are rallying right. around the team right now. It's time it, for the it, general it, manager it, to more, upgrade. You know what it is, John? It's more of like, you know, their chemistry. I mean, one thing I don't agree about with Francesca, one thing I don't, I don't like about, about what he said was, you know, there was a fan that called and talking about, like, you know, that the, you know, these young kids are playing. There are a few young kids, Valdespin, Murphy, uh, Duda. I, I, David's still kind of young. I mean, like, they're, I mean, like, so, I mean, obviously, you know, Dickie Wright and Santana have been around for quite a while, so we're not going to, you know, ex- you're gonna exclude those guys. But the young kids are playing hard. You got to give them a chance. Joe Danny Valdespin, I mean, really, isn't coming. He's, you know what? He's a guy that um, Terry Collins should play more because that guy's got power. I mean, maybe he's not a great fielder, but you have to give the kid a chance because he could be. And to me, I think Ruben Dehat is, is really a terrible hitter. I don't think he's. A, I think he's a great fielder, but he's hitting. I mean, you got to gotta try and do both. I mean, he's a young guy, but still, you got to do both. Well, listen, I disagree with you on Tejada. I mean, he is he is hitting about three twenty right now, and as a hitter, dude, he is he is a ridiculously tough out. I mean, if you mm-hmm. and, and and from from watching it every day, you see the guy is down 0-2 in the count. He he seems to about probably more than half the time work the count to three and two, and you know the guy since he's come off the disabled list has hit pretty well. I I understand I, he's not he's not Jose Reyes, and I think that was his the biggest issue coming into the season whether he was going to try to be something he's not. I think he's actually you know made himself what he really is, and he's not going to hit for power. He doesn't really have a lot of speed, but he he's a tough out. He gets hits. You know, even if it's singles and doubles, he gets hits. I agree. And and if, agree. honestly, if the guy could be a 300 hitter and play the kind of defense he plays at shortstop, then I'll take him on my team any day. As far as as far as, as yeah, far but as, John, sorry, sorry about that. No, but sorry, man. You, as far as um, you know, race is concerned, this year he hasn't really been any big deal at all. The guy's batting 265. He's got three, four homers. I mean, 20 something RBIs. He really has not been that big of a deal. And yet, you actually think about it. The Mets kind of it, it, now they have an advantage now because Sahad is a young guy. He's he's not so much injury prone at this point, and, and he's batting three three nineteen three twenty whatever it is, and and he's trying like I mean like the efforts there. Of course, he may not be a power hitter now because he's a small guy. When Brandon Williams first came out for the Yankees, he was a terrible hitter. He wasn't a really that great hitter at all. Always a good outfielder, great outfielder, but as he got older, he got much better. So he could develop. You never know. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing, and I'll, I'm just going to hit up on one thing you said real quick because, you know, Bernie Williams, I, don't, I mean, I don't know how well you go back as far as I go back because I'm a tad bit older than you. But when, <laughs> when Bernie Williams first came up, all the talk around New York that was that Roberto Kelly was the better outfielder. He was a better defensive player. He had more power. He was the better all-around player. I remember. And then, no, I remember and then the Yankees end up trading Roberto Kelly, of course, to the Reds. For Paul O'Neill, who becomes a corner, you know, the Yankee dynasty of the late, you know, '90s and early part of 2000s. But you know, it, it was funny. I mean, Bernie Williams actually developed right before your eyes. And listen, he he, I think overperformed what some of the skeptics and the you know scouts and stuff said initially when he came out. So I mean, it just kind of goes to show you you really don't know when it comes to Valdespin. Now, uh, I mean, I do agree that after he hit the home run on Monday, there was no reason he should have he should have been a, he shouldn't have been in a lineup on Tuesday. I mean, I thought that was a bad move. I thought you should have found a place for him somewhere. The Mets really don't no. see him with a position, but I think the fact that he's still on the roster and he's been on a roster all season when the Mets could have made other moves is, is an indication of how how well he's played and how he's kind of grown on the team a little bit. Listen, I think if if he keeps it up, that you know the team will be foolish not to play him. 
I mean, the question is where? I mean, Daniel Murphy has actually had a very good month. You know, he's up there. He's got, you know, what, 40-something RBIs now. You know, about half of them have been in the last month or so. You know, Tejada. Who are talking about? You know, Valdespin. You know, you, you, do got, you do got the black hole in left field right now in Jason Bay, who, you know, has been back off the DL a couple days. Yes, he had a home run. Hey, you know what? He had, he had three hits yesterday with a home two hits yesterday with a home run. But I know that his, his expectations are, you know, people don't even know what to think of him right now. But uh, I'll one more thing, and then uh, I'll hang up. But awesome. uh, as far as the, the East is concerned, the National East, um, a couple, you know, Philadelphia Phillies are surprised being in last place. Personally, I'm not surprised because their offense is terribly weak. I don't give a damn if Howard or Elvie are in there. They're still, they're still streak. I mean, I don't think they can have some injuries. Don't know what you're gonna get from them. And then trying to move Hamels, okay. But then I also heard something else about Cliff Lee. They signed him to a five-year contract for 120 million dollars, and now you want to trade him. And then Hamels is younger than Lee. But I mean, it really is it's confusing me because the Phillies don't know what they want to do. They want to move people, and I don't know who they're moving. So. Well, I think with the Phillies, honestly, I think you know you're hearing a lot of rumors and speculation. I don't, I don't, I don't think the Phillies are proactively trying to trade Cole Hamels. Actually, if you you listen to John Heyman over the last week or so, the, I Phil, do. The, Phillies, yeah. the Phillies have actually made a couple contract offers: 120, 130 million over six years for Cole Hamels. So it's a, it's oh. a sign from the Phillies' perspective that they want to keep him. Um, honestly, sure. I don't. I don't know really what to make out of Lee. I. I mean, I think that they. I think they do want to keep him. I think maybe they're floating his name out there to see if a team, you know, overwhelms them. You know, in a situation like that where they go crazy and they say, "Hey, here, here's the top four players in our farm system, and they're all can't miss prospects," then the Phillies got to listen. But other than that, I don't see them moving Lee. The only the only players I really see the Phillies maybe trading as the trading deadline comes across is Shane Victorino. And potentially a guy like Ty Wigginton or Placido Polanco, depending on what other teams' needs are. But really, other than that, I think the core players are staying with the Phillies. I don't think this is a total rebuild situation. I think obviously the Phillies need to catch fire to even have a chance now. You know, not only in, you know not only to just you know win the division, but to get in a wild card spot. I mean, they, there are several games under 500. They're not getting the job done. I mean, they got they got to have a 10-game winning streak to even like come back into things. So I think, you know, I think General Manager Ruben Amaro is really thinking along the lines of, all right, how can I get this team back ready for next year? I don't think he's looking to dump his top players to start over. I think the Phillies no, would expect themselves to be competitive I mean, Victorino is definitely a movable option because, to me, he's a mediocre, to me, he's a mediocre hitter from both sides of the plate. I don't think he's that big of a deal. I don't think he ever was that big of a deal. And whoever and whoever is going to, if they decide to move Victorino, then, I mean, I mean, you know, we're getting too. Polanco to me is no big deal. He gets hurt a lot. He's slow. But um, hey, you know, I appreciate uh, you taking my call on the time to, uh, you know, uh, hear me out. So I will see you soon, Johnny. All right, no problem, Johnny. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Yeah, you too. Yeah, that was my buddy John. Uh, listen, now when it comes to the Phillies, listen, I, I obviously am a Mets fan. I keep throwing that out there, but it doesn't, it doesn't make me, you know not objective when it comes to what's going on. There's a legitimate chance that the Phillies could come out of nowhere. And and it wouldn't even be coming out of nowhere. I mean, you got Roy Holiday back. You know, Lee is Lee. He's he's a damn good pitcher. And, you know, the numbers may not show it this year, but he's been in a lot of games. He got a no decision, you know, you know, yesterday when the team when he gave up one run. I mean, it's been indicative of part of the way he's pitched this year. 
I like, you know, the makeup of the team, but they got to catch fire. The bottom line is they just absolutely have to catch fire. I mean, without that, I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't see them having much of a chance. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want. But the fact of the matter is this is, this is the setting for the greatest story ever told, okay? Faces empty blog. 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 Oh, yeah. Welcome back. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Had to take a quick break and unfortunately hit the button a little too early. So I apologize for the inconvenience. But um, I believe we're taking a call in right now. I think this is Paul Spiljarek. Paul, are you there, buddy? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? John Pialli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Sorry? Hey, uh, welcome aboard, man. Thanks for having a couple minutes. Oh, hey, no problem. Hey, listen, I'm going, going through things. Obviously, you had a, you know, a decent major league career over six years. You, know, you were predominantly a left-handed reliever. I just want to get into that first. You know, pitching, okay. you know, pitching as, you know, either a specialist or just kind of the lefty guy in a bullpen. What, what's the mentality going in? Are you going in there studying pretty much the other left-hand hitters on the other teams? Or are you just going out there just trying to, just, just trying to get out whoever's up? Uh, yeah, I took a starter's approach to it, actually, um, because I never knew whether I would be into in the second inning, the third inning, or the, the eighth inning. So uh, I took every going into every series as a, as a, as a starter would. They would uh, try to develop game plan against guys that are going to be in the, that you know are going to be in the lineup and, uh, and guys that they may pinch hit for in key situations and try to understand what they're going to try to do the ball in, in any given situation. Yeah. That... So that, that's the way I approached it. I didn't uh, – you know, to try to fly by the seat of my pants and try to figure somebody out. No, I, you know, the uh, the scouting reports are pretty advanced, and uh, and uh, you try to build your game plan off of that. Yeah, and that's, it's kind of weird the way things have changed. I mean, you look at you know you know relievers, whether they're righties or lefties. Really, the approach has been you know they're you know they're only left hand you know batter get out, getting out kind of guys, or right hand pitchers only in there to get the right hand hitters out. Have you noticed a big change, or had that transformation already started? while you were still pitching um yeah no there there's been a, a, a certainly a greater change to that over the last few years um and i think it was starting to become evident while i was playing uh you know there were the left-handed setup guys but nothing there was no right-handed guy to come out of the pen unless you were uh you know you know a right a drop down kind of guy uh, a right-hander but uh but that, that trend had already been well established i think and um you know those guys uh, they play a key role and 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 you know think back even 10 15 years ago how many guys were in the bullpen you know four or five guys right now yeah. there's six maybe seven yeah most teams are going with seven right now i mean it's unbelievable the way that you know the micromanaging that goes on in between innings or during innings and stuff like that i mean you're seeing several times that a manager might go through three four pitchers in one inning 
And yeah, I mean, exactly. even, even even going back about ten years ago, I think is something that you know you, you wouldn't even have really seen coming, though it was kind of heading in that direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. You you're absolutely right. I I, I think I saw it coming um, only because you got. You, I mean, I, I think you know, a guy like uh, Catfish Hunter. I mean, you hear we, or Goose Gossage. You know, the starting that closing role and in, in pitching three innings. It was it turned the game. It changed the dynamic of the game, knowing that you only got to get to get, you know, eighteen or twenty one outs from your starter at, at very best, and you turn it over to one of these guys that uh, that can mow down and get you those uh, eight, nine, ten hitters. You know, that, uh, that to finish off the game well do you do you think and i, I want to ask you this because i think i think it's i think you know this this would be a good question to ask you do you think that the fact that closers kind of predominantly became one inning do you really do you think that that's really changed the whole revolution of the bullpen i mean maybe had the closers been able to still go two three innings now like they did let's say in the 70s and 80s i mean do you, do you think that that's really the main reason why you know there's so many you know, you, you got an eighth inning guy, you got a seventh inning guy, you got specialists all over the place. Absolutely, because uh, it's very simple to bat. You can pitch, you know, three days in a row, or you should be able to pitch at least three days in a row in the big leagues without uh, without too much of a problem. Uh, and you, you know, if you pitch three innings, it's likely there's a good chance that you've thrown upwards of 40, 50 pitches. And you know, starters get five days off when they throw 100, but a reliever's expected to to go out after throwing 50 pitches, get a day off or maximum two days, and be right be ready to go again. Exactly. No, I absolutely yeah, I agree think, with that. I think it's impacted it tremendously. I think the roles and the responsibilities have changed, and it all starts at the closer. You you manage the game backwards uh, from a from a pitching perspective. That you know, okay, so I've got I've got through five good innings. My starter's getting up in his pitch count, and I think you know there's a whole different topic of conversation, yeah. and uh, and how that leads to to injuries and shit. like. When have you ever heard of a guy getting shut down in a major league season after 150 innings? I tell you, dude, honestly. If that happens just, with Strasburg, that'll be disgraceful. 2010 was the first time you heard that? Like, yeah. come on. You're a professional. Look after yourself and be, be ready to go. Well, think about it, too. If you think of some of the great, you know, like a Seaver or a Steve Carlton, imagine if they were managed that way. I mean, oh, I mean. They wouldn't have been they, managed that way because the manager would have been, would have been fired. Yeah. You're going to let your horses run, man. That's what they're for. Yeah, and, and now you've kind of hit a point in time where you don't really, ha- you know, your horses aren't your horses. Because they're not no. treated that way. Yeah, no, they're, you're absolutely right. They're, you know, give me five solid. We got seven guys in the bullpen to uh, to get the last ten outs, so or or nine outs. Go get them. Yeah, I absolutely don't agree with that philosophy. I mean, it's it's you know, it's terrible, really, what's happening. Uh, yeah, what, what it, it takes a game that could be played in uh, in two hours or two and a half hours and turns it into a, a four hour marathon. Yeah, that's another. That's it, another. It, it's aspect. frustrating. It, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think the game of baseball is great, and I think that everything that's happened to it is happening for a reason. And and it's, you know, the fan base is as big as it's ever been, and and the followings are are bigger than they've ever been. The game's bigger than it's ever been. Uh, it's rebounded tremendously since '94. Uh, there's so many good aspects of the game, but the one thing that that continually stands out to me is it's the length of time it t- takes to play the game and that's because of of the micromanaging that goes on within the game yeah and that's amazing the way that's happened and i like i said i don't i don't i really I, I hope somewhere along the line there comes like a bottoming out where it goes back in the other direction and pitchers especially you know younger guys like you know like a Strasburg who's coming up right now and actually you know hitting what might be an innings cap 
with the yeah. team in a pennant race. What do you what do you in think a, about that? In a that? pennant race, exactly. Like those two words don't go together. Absolutely not. I mean, a team like the Nationals who should be rewarded for what they've done. I mean, they, they, they've yeah. done they've done a hell of a job. Davey Johnson has got that team in first place. They've pretty much been in first place most of the season, and now the thought is that August, you know, maybe maybe even by the end of July. You know, there, there could be something to happen to, to decrease the amount of innings that this guy pitches. And what happens in October? I mean, you know, let's say the Nationals make the playoffs. Are you not going to pitch Strasburg in the postseason because he's Are you not going to keep him sharp? Uh-huh. Exactly. Like, I mean, it's just, the thinking of that is, uh, is it's not rational to me. I, I, I mean, I understand that they want to preserve him and, and try to get most out of his career that they possibly can, but – uh, you know, are, are we taking away from guys? Are we babying them so much? And 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 players have always been so self-aware of all the little things that are going on in their body and with their body and the pain tolerances that they can handle and what you know how do they perform under those tolerances and that hasn't changed for a millennium. Like you know, the game has been the same forever. It's how the 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 powers that be, whether it's the managers, the coaches, the trainers, all those guys are listening to the information and they're so worried about their futures now that oh oh hey pitcher xyz is tender here here and here we better shut him down yeah, you know I, instead I of ridiculous. hey let's try to build some strength in this guy let's let's get him lengthened out let's uh, let's do all the things that need to be done to build arm strength instead of uh, shutting people down and and i i it's just it's beyond fathomable to me how you you turn down your ace you shut him down after in a pennant race like that just doesn't make sense to me at all like it, so winning isn't important now is the message that i'm getting out of that yeah, absolutely, man. And once again, it's John Pialli, Pass Ball Show. I'm here with uh, former Major League pitcher Paul Spoljarek. Now, Paul, when it comes to, you know, the, really the way you started out, you were a starting pitcher. And, you know, you're my, you know, throughout your time in the minor leagues, you were predominantly a starting pitcher. Uh, did that affect you going into the major leagues at all? Did you, did you see yourself as more of a starter than a reliever? Or did you, you know, was, was it something that you could have done either way? Or was I think a- I yeah I think I could have done either way. Um, at the end of the day, what uh, what would happen was um, I, I converted to a reliever because I had suffered a bit of an arm injury um, uh, in the Arizona Fall League, and I, my arm I was just I, I'd lost a lot of velocity, and I just tried to work through it, you know, and and it did, I really should have been more cognizant of the situation and said, hey, no, I need to shut it down and not throw it all. I just tried to throw through it, and it, and it really ended up hurting me. But in the same time, uh, you know, I ended up getting a, a surgery for it about a year later and was able to bounce back. And, and the quickest way for me to get back to the big leagues at that time was as a reliever. That's where we needed to help, and that's, you know, it just stuck. Uh, you know, I never got the opportunity again, really, to start after that. Now you think about it this way: if you if you came up right now, you maybe you'd be on an innings limit, and maybe that would never have happened. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't I can't say I got overused at any point in my career. Um, you know, the only the only time that I thought that would could have been questioned was uh, in I, whatever year I played in Arizona Fall League. I, I pitched. I don't know, 160-something innings during the regular season, and then I threw like 90-something in the Arizona Fall League, I think. And it just, you know, a 21-year-old throwing 250 innings, it, it added up <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it definitely did, man. Hey, and listen, yeah. listen, going back to, you know, you, you, had, you had a chance to pitch for Toronto, which is where you spent probably the majority of your career. But you also, you also made the postseason with Seattle. 
Tell us a yeah. little bit about you know pitching in a postseason and how how you felt when the the Mariners made the playoffs in 1997. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean. The whole thing of getting traded in uh, in a postseason, getting traded from Toronto at the time, uh, getting traded to Seattle, and then having a, uh, a great opportunity to postseason, and then actually being there when uh, when we clinched it, it was all a surreal feeling for me. Um, uh, the team was great. They they made you feel accepted. It wasn't like uh, you weren't part of it from the very beginning. Uh, everybody was pulling for everybody. It was it was a uh, absolutely marvelous experience and and something that I look back with nothing but great memories about. Um, you know, I've only I only got the chance to pitch in one postseason game and and I didn't do real bad. I didn't do real well though. But uh, uh, it was great. I mean, th- that's what you play for. That's that is the whole reason you put on a uniform to have the opportunity to play for the big ring. Now, now you re- you regret not getting a chance to go back. I'm, I'm sure that's one of the major things you think of as you, as your professional player, you know, to get a chance to win the whole thing, you know, and do, do you, uh, you know, as you went on beyond that season, was it, uh, you know, was it something you felt a little disappointed that you weren't able to make it back to the postseason? Um, yeah, I think everybody is. I mean, anybody that plays a game that doesn't get a chance to play in the postseason or, or have an opportunity to play for the World Series is, is uh, if they're saying it doesn't bother them, they're only fooling themselves. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of motivating factors, but I think everybody plays for the same reason, and that's that's to be there uh, to get the last out in, in the World Series and, and become a champion. Uh, you know, everybody plays for that. Everybody wants to be on a team that is that can build to be something that, that is, makes it special, and, and you'll always have a, a, a lifetime full of memories from it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and there's there's nothing there's nothing more you can really say about that. This is John Pialli. I'm here with Paul Spiljarek, former pitcher for the Blue Jays, Mariners, a little bit with the Royals and the Phillies. Now the last the last I, I you know, obviously I you know, anybody I have on a show, I do what I can to try to research. The last the last I saw of you pitching was in the intercounty league for the the Barry Baycats. That's right, yep. Now uh you know, obviously, I think I, I would assume that you're not pitching anymore, really. <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, yeah, the uh, the chicken wing is done. The it is floated to the top and is ready for pond skimming. So yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't throw anymore. <laughs> I coach my boys. Uh, we play uh, we play all over the place. Actually, we're uh, this weekend heading to uh, Long Island for a tournament. Nah, that's awesome, man. But I'm um, looking back, and you know, did you did you hit a, a phase maybe? Where you know whether it was 2007, 2008, or whenever you decided to stop pitching, did, was it just was it something that gradually happened to you, or was it just one day you just woke up and you're like I'm done? No, no. It uh, uh, if my body would uh, continue to do it, I would continue to do it. I uh, I've always loved the game. I've always loved pitching. Uh, um, you know, I, I get pure joy out of it. It. Uh, yeah, quitting was not uh, quit. I'd say quitting. I didn't quit. I, I was, I was forced into doing what my body was telling me to do, and uh, that was not play the game anymore. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it, it does get tough. I mean, you, you know, you, you spend all, you know, whatever it is, all your life through, you know, high school, college, you get drafted, and you're, you're sticking, you're sticking around in majors, and you want it, you want it to last forever. But you know, listen, it's not like you know, it's not like a nine to five job that you could work for thirty, forty years. I mean, there, there's a certain time frame. It's not really set up that way, mm-hmm. and you know, it's unfortunate when it's you know, when it when your time's up, your time's up, and you know, you've seen it happen, or we've we've all seen it happen with so many players that yeah, you know, you, you have a prime, you have a certain window, 
where you know you could get the most out of you and after that i mean your time's up i mean it's you know it's amazing you know profession being a professional athlete not just a baseball player but you know just the the time span is just it the window is so close it could be you know you're lucky if you could get you know 10 15 years in it and you know most players are done by the time they're you know in their 30s and you know any other profession i mean you know name one other profession that outside of being a professional athlete do you, are you finished by the time you're you know 35 40 i mean it's it, it's it's crazy right? they don't exist or we wouldn't have a <laughs> that society would be in shambles no exactly man now listen i, I appreciate having you on for a couple minutes hopefully i can speak to you again sometime in the near future paul yeah that'd be great john thanks for having me hey anytime man and that was uh paul Spoljarek, uh pitcher for who pitched four years with toronto a couple years with seattle making the postseason and then after that, a little bit with Kansas City and Philadelphia. Like I, like I said, we brought up the last time that he was in a major league, or I'm sorry, in, in a any type of professional league, was at the intercounty league with the Barry Baycats of 2007 to 2008. And listen, I mean, it, you know, I think it's it's pretty interesting. You you have somebody who started out or predominantly was a starting pitcher, and if you look at Paul Spoljarek's stats as he comes through. You know, whether it's the, the mid-90s, the early 90s, as he kind of gets up to where he makes his major league debut, he was predominantly a starter. And, you know, you wonder how, what kind of toll that puts on a, on a pitcher when they're a starter their entire minor league career. And if you look at his career stats, 195 games, just 12 starts. So anybody that followed him or notices him in the major leagues will know that he was a relief pitcher and not a starter. And, you know, you go back and you realize the guy, you know, pretty much made just about all starts in the minor leagues. And you would not turn out for the best. Would he have been better if he was a starter? And, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, a lot of those decisions are made for the pitchers before him. And, you know, just like anybody I've had on this show, the goal is for a pitcher to be a starter. I mean, there aren't too many guys that are, you know, flamethrowing for one, two innings in high school and end up making it to the major leagues. It's the guys that have the stamina early that are very good starting pitchers that maybe, you know, once they're, they're drafted, once they get into minors, they end up becoming relievers because, you know what, the experts and the scouts and everybody say that that's what they're better off doing. And I think it's a shame because it's something that it's a decision that's not made for them. You know, it's not made for, you know, it's not their decision to make. And I always, I always bring up the Aaron Heilman question when it comes to, you know, the Mets of, you know, whether, whether it was 2004, 2005, 2006. You know, here's a guy, and obviously he's going to go down in, you know, anti-Met glory for not really being a solid relief pitcher. But that was a decision that was made for him. You know, Aaron Heilman, uh, probably as far as he can go until the microphone was taken away from him to voice his opinion, was going to tell you that he wanted to be a starter. And did, did it ruin his career? I don't know. I mean, obviously, the guy's not pitching right now. You know, here's a guy who, you know, was a Notre Dame graduate. You know, obviously a smart man. He knew what he was doing and put up numbers as a starting pitcher. And the choice was made for him that he was, he was going to be a reliever. And he's out of baseball now. And I always say that, you know, pitchers, regardless of where you come from, very few say, hey, I want to be a reliever. Yes, there's plenty that succeed in that role. There's plenty that endure that role. You know, Mariano Rivera was a starting pitcher. He came in and obviously became the best closer in the history of the game. He would not take that back for anything. And, you know, same with a lot of the ones that have had success. But mostly closers we're talking about. 
You're not talking about guys who say, hey, listen, I wanted to be a middle reliever, and I'm glad to be a middle reliever. And there's also that one other implement or that one other fact that gets thrown in there. It's money. Starting pitchers got a chance to make $20 million now if you're that good. Even a decent starting pitcher. If you're a major league starter, you're going to make $10 million plus. And you know what? That's about what the better closers are making. You know, Mariano Rivera makes $15 million, but no, no other relief pitcher is going to make that much. And I don't care, you know, I care where you are. You know, the best relievers are not going to make $15 million a year. Mariano Rivera gets that because he deserves it. No other closer is going to get $15 million a season. And maybe it changes. Five years from now, maybe all the top closers will be making that. And listen, you know, the inflation in a way, you know, obviously the payroll or, you know, pay salaries and stuff in baseball kind of escalate a little higher than they do for your average and ordinary job. But I'll tell you this, you know, a, a, a regular starting pitcher, a guy who's a number three, number four starter has a chance to make $10, 15000000 million. And only the best or the immortal Mariano Rivera is going to make $15 million as a closer. So when it comes to that, the money aspect of it, listen, there's no way. There's absolutely no way a pitcher who can do both, start or relieve, is going to choose to relieve over being a starter unless they are at, at the absolute top. You know, you look and, and let's be honest, let's let's look at who who the best relievers are, you know, in baseball right now. You look at a guy like Joel Hanrahan of the the Pirates. He started out as a starter. I have in fact the first the first time I ever saw Joel Hanrahan pitch was as a starter for I believe I want to say it was the Nationals. It could have been the Expos. I don't have the number in front of me, but it actually might have been the Expos, it could have been the Nationals, whatever it was. bottom line he started a second game of a doubleheader. So even at that stage as a major leaguer, he was still probably wanting to be a starter. And, of course, it wasn't until he was traded to Pittsburgh in the Lastings Millage, you know, Lastings Millage trade or with Lastings Millage for, uh, I believe it was uh, Niger Morgan. But it wasn't until that trade that he was used primarily as a reliever for the Pirates. And, listen, he's done a good job. You know, think about Jonathan Papelbon, who's had a good year for the Phillies. In spite of everything that's strug- that hasn't been good for the Phillies, Jonathan Papelbon has done a good job. And going back to Boston, he had a very good career as a closer with the Red Sox. But even up until about three, four years ago, the thought was to make Jonathan Papelbon into a starter. He was the top prospect in the Red Sox organization, even after he had some success as a closer. And, and I, I don't dare say that he was amongst the top in the league because you've got to compare him to Mariano Rivera, and that's tough to do. It really is. But he did a heck of a job. And the Red Sox, up until the last waking second, were considering making Jonathan Pabelbon into a starter. And you make that comparison to what's happened with Daniel Bard this year. He's down in the minors now after struggling as a starter. He probably ends up as a reliever over time. But listen, it's in these guys' blood. If they have the ability to start, they want to be starting pitchers. And, I, I mean, honestly, we could probably make 100 scenarios of different pitchers whose careers have gone in the opposite direction because they've been starters. They were drafted as starters. They were brought in, you know, they went through the minors as starting pitchers. And then they made the transition to relief where it didn't work out. Or maybe it worked out for a little while, but after time went by, they were out and done. And they can't ever take that back. And like, you know, Paul just mentioned when I was talking to Paul Spiljarek, you know, the window is not too long. 
And once it's over, there's no way to get it back. You know, they haven't made the steroids that are undetectable that could save careers that are already over. I mean, I'll tell you, that'll be something interesting. And I don't mean to get off topic, but imagine if, you know, with all the chemists, and I talk about all the time that, you know, chemists are out there creating better steroids and more undetectable steroids, you know, to get through these drug tests. And I'm not buying for one second that major league players are not still using steroids and getting away with it. And these chemists are making millions because they're smart. They have all the degrees and stuff. The chemists are always ahead of the curve when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs. And, you know, it's, it's always one of the things that, you know, these, uh, these, the guys that are testing or the substances that are being banned are always a step behind the guys creating the drugs. And I'll tell you, it'll be an amazing thing. It really will be. Once we talk about somebody that's doing that's doing steroids, that his career is over and they're gone for a couple of years, they juice up and come back and have a resurgence. I think that's absolutely going to be insane. But once again, it's John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. A lot's to go over. I'm hope, hoping in the second hour to be joined by Herm Winningham, a former outfielder for the originally drafted by the Mets. And he played for predominantly Montreal and Cincinnati. And uh, hopefully we'll get him in the second part of the hour. Next week, I do got a very good show planned. I got Chris Bando, uh, former former uh, infielder in the 80s. He's going to join us. I also got uh, Phil Huffman. And Phil Huffman has a great story to tell. He pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays in the late 70s. Had really only one year in the major leagues. I think he made a brief appearance, a cameo after that. But he had one full season in the major leagues. He pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays when they were terrible and was pretty much given the ball every fifth day, regardless of how he pitched and regardless of how the team was going. He pretty much took one for the team the entire season. And the question is whether that destroyed his career completely. And I think that's a great story to tell. There's also a couple other people I'm going to try to get in. i got a really good show planned for that week, which is the 26th. The week after that, I'm going to be joined by former – uh, amongst other teams, Mets and Mariners, and I believe Yankees at one point, uh, infielder Lenny Randall, he's going to be joining us, and I believe that is August the 2nd. So a lot of stuff going on, passball show. Uh, listen, dude, this, this thing is blowing up, dude. I'm going to have major league players on just about every week. So if you like baseball, you like giving some perspective, you, you like hearing maybe somebody that's going to look at things more objectively, and honestly, I think I do. I have some crazy opinions. I do. But I'm also not really biased when it comes to anything. So past, you know, anything, anything you got, we're going to definitely bring the callers in a little more over the course of the rest of the summer. And, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. So I'm going to segue myself into really another topic and really want to finish off the Mets pretty much in this hour here. You know, second hour, I got a whole bunch of different stuff I'm going to go over. I may open the phone lines up one more time. As we got a break at around six for about five minutes till six oh five, but we've talked before, and I mentioned in the beginning of the show, and actually John was you know you know kind enough to bring it up. The Mets obviously need to make a move for a relief pitcher, and you know as as you know really a lot of people have said right now, it's something that has to happen now, not two weeks from now, not July thirty first, but right now. This is a team that's gotten like I said good starting pitching. It's a team that has some really good chemistry offensively. If they're not scoring enough runs, they're never out of a game. 
And, you know, they've been down two, three, four runs at times this year, and they've come back. They've fought until the last out. So if a move isn't made at all by Sandy Alderson, I think it's a shame on him. And this will be the first time that he really takes some heat for Mets fans, from Mets fans. Because really what's going on here is everybody saying, hey, uh, Omar and I left the team in a mess, and it's Sandy trying to do what he can to change things around, to make things different, to bring a new culture, a winning culture, and potentially a team that's going to win for the next 10 years. But that doesn't mean that there's no circumstance that will force you to upgrade your team right now. And I'm not talking about bringing a big bat in. A lot of fans have said, you know, they have to bring in a bat. They have to do this. They have to do that. The move they have to make is with their bullpen. And it has to happen right now. It's not a matter of, you know, bringing in, yes, they could use another righty bat, sure. Could they use maybe a starting uh, starting pitcher to kind of help them out a little bit? Yeah, I'm not going to say they don't. But top number one priority absolutely has to be the bullpen. And it's not a situation where we're talking about a guy. We're not talking about a Brian Fuentes off waivers. And some people have said, hey, how come the Mets didn't pick him up? I wouldn't have objected if they did. Hey, why not give him a chance? He's got to be better than what's gone out there. And I do agree with that. But it's going to really result in a trade that has to be made. And if you're going to ask as a Met fan, what do you do? Obviously, you're not looking to trade the top of your farm system. But something is going to have to go. What kind of player? Well, listen, I think it's up for debate. I think if you're going to get a Houston Street or if you're going to get a Jonathan Broxton, you're going to have to give up something worthy going in the other direction. And I don't really know what it is. You know, I mean, where does the line where is the line drawn when it comes to your top prospects to getting into your mid-level prospects to your lower-level prospects? Obviously, if you had a choice of what you're going to trade, you would trade the least, you know, touted prospects or maybe guys that are down in the minors whether it's Savannah who I, I had a chance to see four games with the Savannah Sandats in Lakewood against the Blue Claws this past week. And I'll get into that probably in the second hour. But, you know, obviously you're looking to trade the things that aren't going to, you know, bloom into huge roses. And it doesn't always work that way. And I've said this on this program. I've said it in my blog that the bottom line is you have to look out for now. It's not about, always about the future. And when you're making a trade, a fair trade helps both teams. And I don't care what team you're a fan of. A good trade helps both teams. And the reason that trades don't happen as much as they did before is because every freaking general manager is trying to screw the other guy. Every team is looking to get one over on the other team. And I told you about a couple deals that I thought were fair. And I compared it in the past to other trades that were fair. But the bottom line is, things, you have to make a fair trade. I mean, if it's a team that's looking for a salary dump, that's one thing. You know, the Mets may want to, you know, just pick up a contract and not give up a lot. Well, that's going to be hard to do, especially when we're talking about relievers. Because everybody needs a relief pitcher. Everybody. Not just you know, not just one, a guy here and there. Every team that's trying to compete 
Every team that's in a pennant race, every team that considers themselves a legitimate contending team with a chance to win a wild card spot in Major League Baseball is looking for a relief pitcher right now. So that's why Brett Myers isn't a Met now, because there's other options. If it's just a matter of picking up a contract and not giving up anything, he would have already been a Met. Or, you know, Houston Street, Jonathan Broxton, these are guys that are going to land the other teams something. And it's not going to be a player that a team doesn't want. These teams, the Padres and the Royals and other teams like that, are going to improve off of the trade of their closer. And I think a Met fan may have to open their eyes a little bit and say that, listen, this isn't going to be, you know, we get a guy for nothing. You're going to give up something. And I don't know if it's Norris Familia. I don't know if it's Matt Dendecker. I don't know if it's Reese Havens. I don't know if it's, you know, we could throw a lot of other guys in there. Wilmer Flores, you know, stuff, players like that. It may be one of those guys. And I, I don't think that the whole Sandy Alderson, you know, build for the future thing is destroyed over a trade of one of those guys. But the question is, what player are you willing to part with? And I think a lot has to do with the organization and where they're going and where they really see. Do they have an excess of something? Is there a little too much of one area? And if there is, then maybe that's something they want to consider. Do they think they have too many left-hand hitting outfielders? If they do, then maybe they got to consider it. Maybe even a Kirk Neuenheis could be a possible trade candidate. And really, you know, looking at stuff like this, I mean, we could go on all day. But the bottom line is, if the Mets add a relief pitcher or two, which I think Sandy Alderson will be absolutely out of his mind if he doesn't do, it's going to cost something. And I think once the trade is made, and I don't know who the pitcher is going to be, there's going to be somebody that's going the other way that's going to get a little bit of a roar from the fans. And, you know, because these fans want, and New York fans, and like I said, I ripped into you guys at the beginning of the show, you, you, want, you always want something for nothing. And you saying people are always complaining about how your team isn't good enough. You don't want to give up something to get something. And that's not the way baseball operates. It's not the way professional sports operates. I think it's a little silly. But lots going on. Second half of the show is going to be fun. Uh, we're going to break a little bit. And, uh, this is empty vlog. Go ahead, laugh. Laugh all you want.